Coming at you all the way from Arbitrum, it's the Magic Hour Podcast. This is Alan. Dionysus. And Breaker. Produced by Digital Strategies Guild. Back to what you were saying, Alan. Moon Boys, all right, you know, I think it comes with the territory, you know? Right. If you're going to yeah. go like all in on something and if things don't work out the way you want, you're going to be like the same type of person, but the exact opposite. And you're going to exactly. fud the shit out of it. No, you're right. You're right. That's actually a really, I haven't thought about that. You're just going to be, it's the other side of the coin. Right. You're, you're an all, or, if you're a moon boy, you're an all or nothing person. But guys, it, it's good to have you back. Thank you. It's great. And, I just want to say before we get into the rest of this podcast, this podcast is produced by the lovely people at Digital Strategies Guild. Every week they do an awesome job helping us make you the best sounding podcast you can listen to related to magic, which I'm confident is the truth. But, you know, it's a rough one out there, guys. It's been a rough last three days. I have wanted to consistently throw my monitors out the window. <laughs> Well, well, hopefully in seven days when this podcast comes out, it's not as rough as it's been. But I think this is a good time for us to kind of skip news and notes because they're all about one thing right now and talk about mental health. I think uh, it's important in this space. You know, I think we all get too caught up in everything, get too close to our monitors, and it's, it's always healthy to take a step back. So then we had Mike Crypto on this episode and one of the things he also said as well was to take a break and just relax and really ease off on the mental stress that this all can give you. And uh, honestly, another thing he's also right about in terms of that is in the end, once you take those breaks, it helps you end up making better decisions as well. Your brain's not too cloudy. You're not too caught up with all the uh, FOMO that might be going around or whether it's just the stress that might be coming on things dropping ends up giving you a calm, clear mind. And in the end, that helps you executing your decisions and just helps you make better plays within the space as well. So it's really, really important to always take a break and take your time off the screen whenever you get the chance to. Yeah, it's crucial. I found myself stepping away from the screen a a lot over the last few days. And it's been a huge mental uh, stress relief. I agree. I I was out on the golf course today. And I was waiting to shoot my shot, which doesn't really didn't really happen too often. But I opened up Discord, and the messages were just flying by, like just super fast. And I was just like, "Wow, I'm so glad that I'm not at the computer today to, <laughs> to be paying attention to all this stuff." Yeah, I think honestly, in times like this. And I mean, even if you're stable, like regardless of what we have done or, or, or you at, at home, seeing this number go down across the board for crypto is mentally taxing, right? Whether or not it's directly correlated to your portfolio as an aside, like you're all passionate about crypto in the same way that we are. And so experiencing this uncertainty and drawdown is like, sometimes it's just unfathomable. So, uh, Breaker, I'm very jealous of your experience today. <laughs> I was definitely oh, I, in the trenches, <laughs> and and that's okay too. You certainly can. You certainly don't have to step away. But you know, I think it's also the nature of the beast because 
this this entire space takes place in an online environment. When we get to the metaverse, it's going to be, I mean, maybe we are in the metaverse already, just the beginning of it. But when you get to the real metaverse and we're virtual or AR oriented, I mean, it's going to be a lot of this. And, you know, it's just going to be a lot of information coming at us from all directions. And we have to be able to react and interpret and analyze this data in a way that best suits us individually. And like Alam said, repeating my crypto, stepping away from that, if even for like five or 10 minutes might give you the clarity you need to make that next great trade. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I found even in certain certain uh, occasions, just even sleeping on it is is super helpful. Sleeping on a trade or sleeping on some otherwise possibly rash decision, especially with crypto, despite how fast this, spa- this space moves. And, you know, honestly, just coming back to that type of uh, break type of thing, it's like people really, even me personally, I feel like people really underestimate how much that type of reset can really help you. Um, and not even just within this space, but just in your daily lives as well, right? You're at work or maybe you're just having a bad day and you kind of just use something as an escape and just kind of use a different type of thing, whether it's working out, whether it's going for a run, whether it's, uh, I don't know, going out with your family or going out with friends. Using that reset and almost anything you do that might cause stress or anything that might cause some sort of discomfort really, really does help a lot. And it does go a very long way. And just thinking about it more and more, it just kind of just starts to click to me as much as like the longer I think about it, that we do these type of things all the time in our daily lives. And if we can do them in our daily lives, then I feel like this is definitely something we need within this space because it's so fast and there's just so much going on each and every day that we have to stay stuck on, whether it's good or bad. And even if it's a short pause, even if it's short reset, it's, I feel like everyone should be having these within their day-to-day basis doing this type of work. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I, mean, I, I think that mentality is important because we're all in this, not like just for the short-term gains, but for the long haul. And without taking that time to check in on yourself, on your mental health, realizing if you need to take a, take a break from the screen or if you're even over-invested in something like all of that is setting yourself, your future self up for success. And that's, that's crucial, especially in times like this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really about taking the time to learn and apply those learnings or observe what you've learned and apply that to the next cycle that comes around. Yeah. Honestly, one of the things that I've been trying to do recently, and I've been doing an okay job, is just like going back over some of my trades and like journaling about why I took those trades. I, 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 I would, in an ideal world, have a trade journal, but now I'm just kind of looking back after the fact. And I think that's been a huge help now that I have a lot more time because I'm abstaining from the majority of these market conditions. That's actually a great suggestion, Dion. And I never really thought about doing that, but I can I can imagine you can get a whole lot of really, really good information by reviewing why you made trades. Because I think most of us can remember the trades that we make and why we made them and what caused us to ape. And yeah. I think being as strong at pattern recognition as humans are, it's probably really easy to discover some patterns 
on your good trades and your bad trades. And then if you do that, you can certainly recognize those patterns when you come across them in the future. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's also, it's been hard. Like trading makes you really look yourself in the mirror and see yourself for who you really are. And a lot of times that number that's reflected in your portfolio so that you can't have any mental gymnastics and say, oh, I would have done well if X, Y, Z, because at the end of the day, you know how the trade worked out. So it's, I, it's, a, it's a tough exercise, but it's it, good. It is, but, but I, I like what you're saying. It's like you, you avoid the regrets that you had. Yeah, that, absolutely. And you know, speaking or, or, in terms of, I mean, that is also a good idea, as Breaker was saying. Like, I, I definitely think I'm going to start doing that from now on as well. Like, that's a very good suggestion. And I feel like right now is no better time to do that as well, right? Just use this time to learn. Use this time to adapt. Learn the information that you need to learn. Get better at making trades. Learn from the mistakes you've made by looking at the past trades that you've made. Really take this time to just take a break and really say, okay, what can I improve on? What have I been doing bad? What caused the catalyst of these things to happen? Why do they make these trades? And how am I going to improve on them? And you know, really use this time to improve yourself on how you make your plays. And so that when the time comes that you do need to take those entries, that you do need to take the opportunities that are in front of you, you're going to know when, how, and like what you're supposed to do in order to make them successful. And honestly, that's kind of what I've been thinking about doing as well for like the last week or so now is really just taking this time to just become overall an better investor and just better on just managing money and just financials in itself and really taking the time to grasp on the mistakes that I've been making throughout this entire time um, that we've been trading altogether. Like what's your like go-to like stress reliever, like generally in life? Like do you, do you, do you guys have one? Uh, like I, I just recently started going to the gym. I actually think that we talked about this in a previous episode and, and that's been like a really good stress reliever. But now that I'm looking to like shift some of my priorities around and have a little bit more free time from being extremely online with crypto to broadening my horizons and balancing my life a little bit more. Do you, either of you have any suggestions or things that you've been looking into? Well, for me, I think what I usually go to is video games. I love to just kind of like shut my mind off for a bit. Lately, as I said earlier, I've been playing some golf, but you know, I think it's just really important to kind of set aside some void time, as I've heard it called, where you just kind of remove all your electronics and you allow yourself to have time with your mind and your mind only. No distractions. Honestly, I don't do that like at all. But that is a good reminder that I should be doing that. And I'm sure that I would benefit a lot from it. I'm sure my portfolio could benefit a lot from that. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure we all could. Yeah. Well, mm. thanks for sharing, Breaker. Yeah, no, Dion, and you're exactly right. That's kind of a problem that I have as well. I really don't ever take the time to just shut my brain off and really just stop thinking about all of this uh, big chaos that goes around every single day. But if there's one thing that I do use to relieve my stress as well is, you know, I, I mean, it is definitely working out, but specifically running. I mean, I've told you guys before this as well, um, like fitness and stuff like that has always been something part of my life since I was like a little kid, but more so specifically running is, in my opinion, one of the greatest things I've done to relieve stress by far from any of the other things I've done. And I feel like I've tried a lot of things within my life that kind of helped me just take a break from a lot of stuff. 
And running has has helped me more than all of it. It clears your brain. It clears everything in your body. It's for me. It's just like the one time where I can feel just completely clean and just my mind is completely at ease and not having to think about all the stuff that goes on. And it's really just me and my brain at that point. But not. It's not focusing on the things that are giving me the stress. It's like uh, I, I. You guys ever um, have those times where you're showering or just in the washroom and you just really get to just have nice collective thoughts and really just take a big grasp on everything that's going on. Um, that's kind of how I feel like running is. It really just not necessarily brings me stress, but just clears my mind completely and really helps just take a breather, honestly. Um, um, I don't know if you're a big runner yourself, but running is something that I've been doing for a very long time and it's it's always been there for me. And that's what I always do, no matter like what they're like night is if I'm ever feeling like I have stress just put the shoes on go for a nice quick jog and I feel a million times better so I would definitely recommend it for you or anyone within the space and you know it's good for your health as well and it's nothing wrong for it absolutely health physical health is, is also as important as mental health is yeah no I appreciate both of you sharing that yeah and and, and guys thank thank you so much I think that this was just having this conversation was pretty helpful for me. Mm -hmm. Totally agreed. And you know, now that you bring upon it, that that's also another thing as well. Just talking to people, letting out, you know, the stresses and the worries that you're going through is feel like is another big thing that makes a big, big difference. Whether it's you're going out with your friends, again, that's why we always try to incentivize going out with your family, just having a good time, just talking to people, whether you're having the uh, whether you're talking about the problems that you're facing or again just talking to people about just anything that might go around in your life it always helps letting out your problems and you know talking to people because those people that you might be having a chat with maybe end up giving you the best advice that you probably ever heard of and it's always get to get a different peace of mind other than yours and i mean breaker and dion probably already know that because i'm always asking them questions before the podcast and stuff like that i was getting their advice and their uh thoughts on different things within the space and i feel like that's just a better way to learn that's a better way to adapt and that's just how you gain different experiences from different great minds that are that you're connected with thank you alan i appreciate that thank you all for listening and now we have the interview with mike crypto enjoy Magic Hour listeners, we have a wonderful guest for you this afternoon. Joining us direct from Twitter, Mike Crypto. Uh, you might know him as one of the biggest Treasure Down Maxis, Magic Maxis in the space. And uh, we're happy to have him on the pod. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you guys so much for having me on. It's our pleasure. You know, I had to do a lot of research about you because I personally haven't interacted with you too much in the space. I probably have like retweeted your tweets and maybe listen to one of your spaces or kind of interacted tangentially with you. But I noticed that you, you have been in, in Web3 for a while. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about where you were at in life when you discovered the crypto world and, and what captured your attention about it. Yeah, absolutely. So I was um, in college when I first discovered crypto, and I've always loved technology, finance, and you know game theory and so when i first found crypto back then this was you know about 2013 um you know i instant i was instantly attracted to you know something that was revolutionary technology that you know had 
you know, that was influenced by finance, by game theory. Uh, it just seemed like the new cool thing that, you know, just drew me in and it seemed like, you know, what everyone should be focused on. Yeah, I, I think that I can align with a lot of that as well. I'm definitely a progressive technology user. And when I came across Web3, it was, it was a kind of similar reaction. You know, I, I started reading the Bitcoin white paper and I was like, holy cow. And I had heard about it a little bit beforehand on Reddit. I had seen it kind of on like the uh, fringe, so to speak. And then, you know, I just started getting more interested in it. But cool. Sounds like we have similar paths. And, and what, did you, uh, what did you decide to kind of dip into first when you got there? So this was back when the space was, you know, not nearly as developed as it is now. So, you know, my first buy was, you know, Bitcoin, I think it was somewhere around $200 a coin, but this was, you know, before Ethereum. But then, you know, once I had, you know, purchased some Bitcoin, um, I also looked into some of the other coins um, that were around back then. And many of them don't exist today, like, you know, Peercoin, uh, Gridcoin, Litecoin, Vertcoin. So we were, you know, I was, you know, very enthralled by the space, you know, was really bullish on Bitcoin, um, but then also started, you know, trading some of these other, you know, smaller coins, which, you know, didn't work out so well. I think a lot of people, you know, when they get involved in the space, they'll, they'll you know, try their hand at, you know, trading, um, especially like short-term trading. But I think that, you know, a lot of that experience, you know, all helped me to, you know, learn lessons that helped me be better and better uh, investor and community member in the space. Absolutely. I, I can wholeheartedly agree with that. And it's, you know, it's just like things take time, right? And you learn over time and the more you learn, the better you get and kind of are rewarded for being early in on this type of space for sure. And uh, when did you decide to assume the moniker My Crypto or was that always what you had started with as your nickname? So yeah, that, that was the, um, that, that was my nickname, pretty simple thought process there. Just first name seemed friendly, underscore seemed like a tech um, forward way to combine two words. Nowadays, I probably would have smushed the two words together. And then crypto was because back then there was not like a thriving crypto Twitter community. And so people had the word crypto in their handles like Crypto Cobain, because that's how people actually found each other. So might be open to a, a rebrand at, at some point, but that's, uh, that's uh, the simple story of how I came up with that moniker. I mean, honestly, I don't know if you need a rebrand. I think it's great, but who knows? Uh, did you trade? Did you trade on like Cripsy and stuff like that way back? Oh with, yeah, with pretty these? much. Yeah, every exchange that was there, Cripsy, <laughs> ETCE, Poloniex, you name it, I traded it, and it probably traded on it, and it probably doesn't exist anymore. Big facts. I also had a just a small question to ask, just for all the new guys in crypto, I guess, because I mean, I haven't been in crypto for too long. I have been in here for a decent amount of time though but of course i mean you're one of the ogs in this space and you know in terms of the whole crypto economy itself as well and uh again I, as i was saying before, right before the start of this podcast as well i'm kind of like uh i think of you as more as like a sensor for uh, everything that you've been explaining in the spaces you know been in the um, crypto spaces you've been on the tourist spaces just you've been dwelled within the community and always love all the information that you give to everyone so you know really kudos and respects you for that but uh and also because our smalls are almost <laughs> almost looking alike as well. It's just that I got the orange one, but uh, we got the whole, almost the most identical small as well. But the question I had was just based off of when you started and towards now, 
How has it overall changed in terms of how people trade crypto specifically, the communities behind them, how it was developed, and just an over drastic change over the years? And do you feel like it was a big change? Do you feel like the communities have completely twisted into the way they are now? Or how has the total sentiment changed from that? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And things have changed a lot. I mean, I kind of, even back then, I was thinking, you know, maybe I'll make crypto like a full-time career. And I really thought about it. I, you know, was involved um, a bit with some crypto stuff. I, you know, remember applying for crypto jobs. Um, For better or worse, I ended up going into traditional finance. And then when I kind of came back to the space, kind of like during COVID, we're all at home, we had some extra time. I was shocked when I was first listening to podcasts, delving into Discord, uh, to crypto Twitter, with all the innovation that had occurred. Because back then, our, an example of like what was super innovative was like PrimeCoin could help find new prime numbers, which is, you know, has certainly some utility for mathematics. But I mean, fast forward <laughs> to today, and we've got NFTs, we have the metaverse, I mean, all the DeFi that happened in 2017, 2018. It's like not even comparable almost. So I was definitely very pleasantly surprised and pretty astonished at how much had changed. And it just made it all that more interesting for me to say, okay, now I have to jump back in and learn about all the new stuff. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I could well imagine things were just starting to unravel since then, since the beginning of it. Now there's just so many more niche aspects and it's just dived to this whole other sector of crypto. And it's just... I could well imagine from your perspective how you know crazy it must seem and how awesome it must like sound now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember I was like listening to my first podcast and they're talking about like wrapped Ethereum and, and wrapped Bitcoin. I was like, what? Like back then, like Ethereum like wasn't out yet, right? Like we were you know looking at like um, some of the early news about like this Ethereum ICO. And we're thinking that would be really cool. And now again, fast forward. And we've got NFTs, we can wrap coins. We all Again, all the DeFi was pretty incredible. You now have like an ecosystem that people can not only, they can not only buy Bitcoin, buy Ethereum, but now they have DeFi they can do to earn yield. Um, now they also have NFTs and the metaverse and play to earn gaming, which allow them to really integrate with a community. So it's this much more robust ecosystem that feels way more mature. And it feels like a place where you can, you know, you're not just like, you know, oh, let me buy token and hopefully it goes up and I'll sell it. And then I'll leave the space for four years until the next happening. It's now a space where you can really be part of a community. And in response, we've seen an ecosystem build out, right? Like we you look at Treasure DAO, you look at, we now have over 200 projects in the pipeline. We have great media like you guys. You look around, we have an AMM coming, we have a chain coming, we have a marketplace, we have another marketplace coming. It feels way more like, wow, this is an ecosystem where you can really build and stay versus a place like to make some money, cash out to US dollars, and then exit for some time. What was it about NFTs that kind of kind of drew you in, or were you just naturally, because of the crypto interest, saying, okay, this is the next thing, I got to get involved with it? Yeah, I remember I was uh, at work and 
uh, people were talking about NFTs. And, you know, I think one of the first NFTs a lot of us were exposed to was NBA Top Shot. And as soon as I heard about it, I'm like, wow, this seems really cool. I think that what crypto was missing is obviously we had digital money and that functioned like real money, like an asset that you can hold and can't be double spent or printed if the protocol doesn't allow for it. But NFTs in my mind, they're kind of like digital assets. And mm -hmm. it clicked that of course we, of course, every digital item in a game or any digital item that we own, like it seems like the default should almost be they should be digital assets. So I, I, I delved into them right away, bought some NBA Top Shot moments, and then graduated to real like, you know, Web3, getting your MetaMask, getting my MetaMask, doing stuff where I wasn't using a custodial wallet. I had them in my own wallet using OpenSea. And I remember that it was funny because NFTs didn't click with even people who were very involved in the crypto space. I remember I was talking to a friend who was really into crypto and I was talking to him about NFTs when it was pretty early. And I was like, oh, these seem really cool. He was like, yeah, 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 whatever. And then like six months later, he was like, wait a second, this is kind of the next big thing. We got to look at this. So I think they took definitely took some people by surprise and not everyone understands them right away, as we all know. Like, I think we've all had experiences of talking to friends or family and wait, what do you mean? Why can't I just copy paste this? And I think for those of us on the podcast who are early adopters, it's a really great thing because it gives us an opportunity to go and explore a space the, the same way I felt when I was exploring crypto back in 2013, 2014, before people kind of catch on. Yeah. I mean, that was that was kind of me too. Like I was very big into DeFi. Actually, like being in crypto as long as you have, you know, I was really into like some of the early DeFi stuff. And then I kind of just sat back and just forgot about it for a bit. And then I got into DeFi in like, I want to say late 2020. Uh, and I started kind of digging into it more. I'm like, oh, this stuff seems really interesting. And then I too discovered NBA Top Shot. Although I had some crypto kitties beforehand, but I didn't really like do much with them. But same thing. I was like, I'm missing the boat on this NFT stuff. And I only really kind of got into it in August of 2021 is where I kind of really dove in for sure. So I missed all the board Ape hype and crypto punks and that kind of stuff. But we're here to talk about magic. And, and that's really what I think our listeners want to know about. How did you discover magic and what caused you to dive in the way you have? So I discovered magic because I recognized that we were in a bull market, right? Which is important for people to kind of pay attention to, okay, what kind of market is it? I kind of believe the saying, like, there's no sleep in a bull market. There's always going to be, you know, new exciting projects that can, you know, blow up overnight. So I was, you know, scrolling Twitter, you know, in the middle of the night. And, you know, I saw some couple people tweet about this project, Treasure NFTs that were launching. I, you know, looked at John Patton's tweets from August, saw that this guy had a really strong vision and huge vision. And I also looked at some of the like the fundamentals, like, okay, how quickly is this minting relative to the time, which was, you know, the middle of the night in the US, it was minting really quickly. So like, okay, I got to get up and grab a bunch of these. And then just as I continued to dig in, I continued to see the team do all the right things. They were going to the right, they were kind of like playing to the meta, not only to the meta, but also to where I kind of fundamentally believe the space was going, which was kind of like play to earn gaming and the metaverse. 
And I just continually saw them make smart decisions, high integrity decisions, and I saw that they were working extremely hard. And I was also personally just, you know, having a lot of fun hanging out in the Discord. So I kind of checked all the boxes. I spoke to other friends who were new crypto and, you know, had been successful investing in early stage crypto projects before. And we kind of agreed that this was a winner. podcast as well. It kind of lit the fire to treasure, it kind of brought everyone towards to kind of what it is now and really brought up the community as a whole. But just coming from your perspective, what was your favorite part of the ecosystem? And, uh, you know, what, what projects do you appreciate the most? So it's a great question. It's also a tough question to answer because there are so many really cool projects. The game that I play the most is Bridgeworld. So I'm enjoying playing that. I'm enjoying the process of figuring out the strategy, making the decisions, okay, do I craft, quest, summon, you know, how many people do I do each with, you know, making kind of those game theory decisions about how long should you stake your magic, should you kind of go for the harvesters, how do you prepare. The other project that I'm pretty excited about is Battlefly. I'm uh, part of the Clock Snatcher Guild, and I'm part of the consulting team that's helping Battlefly, and I kind of think I am pretty excited uh, about what they're going to deliver um, in terms of the, you know, the mini game and the full game and, you know, season two. So I'm pretty excited about that. But I mean, there's so many amazing projects in the ecosystem, as you know, right? It's kind of like trying to pick a, a favorite child, right? I mean, Smallville is going to be awesome. I think Tales of Illyria looks great. Toadstools, you know, has amazing art. Um, I'm excited to see what Dale is going to do with Small Age. I'm excited to see what this AAA game from Strider looks like. I talked to a project, Barely an NFT, seems like it's going to be fun. Knights of the Ether looks great. Lost Samurai looks great. Magus has been doing great work educating people. Life looks great. Peekaboo has had a resurgence. Still looking forward to Enjoyer. And, and there's also some projects that, you know, are still in stealth that I think look cool. We also have uh, a couple like uh, move to earn projects, which I think will be really cool for the magic ecosystem. So tough to answer, but lots of really exciting projects. I'm personally also excited for Mover Dow, you know, getting to see that uh, IRL experience starting to unravel and kind of just bridge on to both of those type of concepts. I think it's going to be really, really cool, especially seeing that first come to treasure as well. I mean, there's one called Step and Dow that, you know, Breaker just showed me not too long ago. That's on Solana chain. So it's really cool to see this bridge onto L2 and treasures specifically. That's good. Again, it's just seeing a flower for flourish. It's just seeing everything unravel. And I think that's going to be an awesome experience to see. But uh, just speaking specifically on small brains, what's your, uh, what, what do you, what's your intake on small brains and just specifically its future? So I have seen the team really focusing on small brains recently. I think that they are bringing a renewed energy to small brains and smallville. You know, we now have our treasure DAO now has a dedicated team for the project. We've seen Corel take, you know, a really nice role. We've seen some of his recent announcements that have been really strong. So I'm pretty excited to see the team now with dedicated staff and focus, start executing on Smallville. I think that's going to be a really cool 
I think that the project is going to be about community, celebrating the people that are important to you. It's going to be about having a sense of belonging, creativity, celebrating artists. It'll be a nice complement to Bridge World, which is more of that strategy, you know, let's compete for magic emissions type game. And did you have to complete a, um, a small brains drawing yourself? I did. Are you, are you able to share it with us so we can post it on Twitter? We'd love to see yours. <laughs> I certainly can. I will share that with you guys. Trust me, even if you're not an artist, it definitely wasn't as bad as mine. My, we, we shared it on the Twitter and mine was definitely something to laugh at. It's, uh, I'd like to say left-handed people problems. I, I'll use that as an excuse. <laughs> I don't know. I might give you a run for your money. Uh, of course, you can see what just, you know, current economic situations and everything that's going on. Um, honestly, I just wanted to ask if, uh, like, based off of what's going on right now, and obviously people's sentiments are a lot lower than others as well. What do you, what do you feel like based off of everyone's current situations and just the economy and, you know, how it correlates to L2 specifically, because we can, you know, de depict off L1's volume, how everything is going on as well. How do you feel about just current situations and just how it correlates to L2 and just the future of that as well? Yeah. So current situation, obviously, it's been a little bit rocky, right, in terms of the macro. I usually don't pay attention to the macro almost at all. It's more about or almost all, all about the fundamentals of the given project. But recently, I and everyone have had to pick our head up and look at the macro, obviously driven by the U.S. Fed raising interest rates and um, shrinking its balance sheet. So I think that you know we all have to be mindful of that. I am an advocate, like Kobe wrote about, of probabilistic thinking. So I think everyone should be taking into account that you know there's some probability, and we can debate what it is that will enter you know a recession and a bear market, and you know think about what that could look like. So I think it's important for people to keep that in mind, right? When you're, you know, investing and allocating your portfolio. And in my opinion, you kind of want to, one, make sure that, you know, you have enough stable coins or cash to support your family. That's number one. And then two, it's, okay, which projects am I going to focus on that I think will thrive through a bear market if that does happen to the next bull market. Again, I think Treasure Dow will do really great in this respect because the team is full of dedicated builders who are going to build very hard through a bear. They're funded to build through a bear market. And the fundamental thesis of Treasure Dow is that we have these network effects from having these 200 plus projects. And so network effect protocols, businesses, you name it, they tend to grow exponentially, right? If there is a benefit of being in the ecosystem, then projects will join the ecosystem and users will come and you'll get a flywheel effect. So it's a good example of a project that people can continue to build on and be part of the community and be confident that it will you know, continue to do well regardless of the macro. In terms of the L1 versus L2 question, it's clearly it's clear that a lot of the projects have been succeeding recently have been blue chip L1 projects. It's pretty much like the top five projects have done well, and you know the other projects have suffered. What L2s have to contend with is how do you get people to bridge across? 
And that's something that Treasure Dow has worked really hard on. I think the Freemint model worked extremely well initially. It brought in this amazing community. I think now we've seen Treasure Dow publish pieces on, okay, that was great. We're going to pivot a little bit. We're now going to have paid mints. And I think what we'll see is Treasure Dow making an effort to kind of sell more and more projects on the benefits of building on Treasure Dow. The same way that we see AVAX um, and you know, uh, Polygon doing for their ecosystems. So that's kind of the next phase, I think, for Treasure Dow. We have to continue to invite builders in. When we have great projects, when we have AAA games, the users will come. And again, as we look forward to that longer term for Treasure Dow, we're going to have a treasure chain. And that, again, the, the success of that will be predicated upon getting amazing projects and bringing in community and incentivizing them to do that. I'm glad you brought up the treasure chain because I was just thinking about that when you were talking with all the projects that are being developed. Do you think it makes sense to maybe stay on Arbitrum as long as possible and build out the treasure chain or kind of get the chain started now and start migrating over to that. I mean, I guess it's kind of like a chicken or the egg situation, it sounds like, because it's going to be harder to move lots of projects over later on, unless you know there's some sort of easy way to kind of bring all the data over with, in one shot. I don't know. Yeah. We've seen the treasure ecosystem migrate before from L1 to Arbitrum. So we, they've, had, they've shown that they have the technical capabilities of doing that. Of course, this would be maybe a larger migration because there'll be much more projects. I think it's key to build the treasure chain as, as fast as we can. You know, we're in competition with other chains to, you know, bring in users and projects. And again, the thesis of Treasure Dow is that it's building that layer of infrastructure. So you have to have an AMM, you have to have marketplaces, you you know, you should have a chain. And I think that as the team focuses on that and building this amazing foundational layer of infrastructure, that'll make it very attractive for projects to come in. So it is part of that strategy is, okay, let's go build out that chain, let's do it quickly. And then we'll handle the technical problem of bridging those projects to the chain. My understanding is that the chain will be reserved for in-game transactions because it will be much, much cheaper, either pennies or, or fractions, of, uh, fractions of a penny. And then the NFTs, at least the last I heard, will stay in Arbitrum. So it'll be kind of a partial migration. Yeah, I, I think I've seen a lot of other projects kind of doing the same behavior, you know, leaving them on L1 and interacting with them on L2. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, just... In terms of when we talk about concepts of L1 and L2, I you know I saw this on Twitter not too long ago as well, just with just what happened with Yuga Labs and you know uh, other side and everything, and people were saying how it would have been great if it saw other side was possibly on L2 as well, could have maybe been a much better mint than how it was and everything. And unrelates more to my next question as well is, do you ever feel like Treasury ecosystem could ever gain like the hype and the respect that like the other blue chip uh, blue chip uh, projects receive on L1 as, and you know, because we did hype once before as far as I believe, but do you feel like we could ever regain that hype as, uh, again, correlating to current market conditions? And do you feel like we could ever become that blue chip that people see on L1, but, you know, just on L2 instead? I, I do think that we can do that. I think, again, you know, just going back to like, at least my thesis, and I think the thesis that other people have is 
when you have you know a project that has all the fundamentals in place to grow exponentially over time like it will look when we look back at this period of time if the project is successful in executing the vision it will look like nothing has happened to date right and then what you'll see kind of maybe it's a year maybe it's more out is kind of have this like explosion of interest of games of community so I think again, as long as that thesis plays out and that vision plays out as intended, I don't see why Treasure Dow can't be the Nintendo of the decentralized Nintendo and one of the leading gaming protocols in the world. I like I like thinking of it thinking of it in that way. I hope I hope that it's that way as well. And I know Alum is definitely on board with that scenario. Yeah, yeah, you know, hundred percent. It it has been a, a really interesting journey and by the time this episode comes out, Bridge World 2.0 questing will be out. And I just want to say that that's part of my focus right now. I love playing that game as well. And it's pretty entertaining, to be honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to questing 2.0. I think that it will kind of rev up the economic engine of Bridge World. I think we'll see more engagement. I know that's been a goal. I think we'll see, you know, more decision making. I know that's been a goal. Um, so I think that, I think, Bridge World is in good hands, and the longer we give Peta and the whole team time to continue to iterate on it, the better it will get. Definitely. So, um, yeah, I, I know this is the Magic Hour pod, and we, we talk about magic a lot, but are there any non-related, non-magic or treasure-related projects that you're working on or interested in currently? So, I don't really have any, you know, non-Treasure DAO or magic projects that I'm interested in. I um, am interested in, you know, the crypto gaming space, and I believe that being part of a network, like the Treasure Town network is, you know, extremely important for game to succeed. And so I've, you know, actively decided to just focus on the Treasure Town ecosystem. Good for you, man. I think that's definitely a good strategy in this environment. And I think that it's going to be uh, exciting to see what comes from all the building that's going on right now. You know, I, I understand that you have like a finance background and, and you've been in this for a while. Uh, as it relates to some of the magic tools that are available, I know we, we had Dan Levine on talking about his mytreasures.info. I know there's um, Kung's magic, I guess, bridge world uh, interface, if you will. Uh, there's the regular bridge world interface. Do you use any of the uh, trading tools or interface tools that have been be built by the community or you just go straight to the source? Uh, I definitely use um, community tools, including mytreasure.info. I think that's super, super useful. Um, I also use um, bridge world helper. In terms of community tools, I also use treasurestats.xyz. So yeah, I think that you know using those those tools is pretty valuable if you're looking to kind of not only manage your own portfolio and your own bridge world strategy, but also trying to get a sense of what's happening in the ecosystem. Uh, you spoke of being, being really interested in games. What's your favorite game, by the way? You mean like outside of uh, Treasure Dow? Yeah, outside of Web3. Because I mean, if you're a gamer in Web3, I would imagine you've been a gamer since before Web3. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, growing up, I, you know, was definitely playing, you know, all of like the Nintendo games, um, which definitely drew me to um, Treasure Dow, that thesis. I mean, I played like, you know, old World Warcraft, Starcraft, Diablo, maybe Diablo is the favorite. Right on. I like Diablo. 
I, I played a lot of StarCraft myself, but it sounds like you were a Blizzard fanboy, which uh, it was hard to not, not to be during that kind of era, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as we kind of progress and build in this Web3 space and we talk about metaverses and maybe it's just one big metaverse with all these sub-metaverses in it, what's your vision for, and fu- for the future of Web3? Like, where do you see us going from here? It's a good question. Maybe a bit tough to answer, but I feel like Web3, the idea that we own the, the currencies, the assets, the networks, it all seems pretty fundamental and foundational. So I would not be surprised if elements of Web3 kind of slowly overtake everything in terms of, you know, why would you want to play a video game where you didn't, you know, where the in-game currency and the in-game character and in-game items weren't actual assets that you owned? Or if people or as people roll out decentralized versions of Twitter and Google and Facebook, why wouldn't people prefer to use that? I think the only risk there or the main risk there is how it's viewed from a regulation standpoint. So that, that I think is um, a big outstanding risk that we're all kind of waiting to see how it plays out. I think that will take time. We've seen, you know, how the government has taken time to deal with other issues like, you know, Ripple. But I do think that that's kind of the the X factor. But otherwise, I think Web3 is, is very foundational. And I would not be surprised if 10, 20 years from now, that's almost a given that things are Web3. Yeah, I think uh, I always like to say to some of my friends that we're like in the DOS stages and Windows 3.1 is just around the corner. You know, if you can relate to that, that might kind of give away my age a little bit. But I think it's we're still kind of doing things at the command prompt, it feels like. Yeah, I think that's right. I think a lot of the tools, even though they feel cutting edge to us, are still going to seem pretty basic when we fast forward five or 10 years and see what can be built on them. And then the other thing I think of is back in like the dot-com era or before then, you know, there would be investors who are okay, who are, you know, describe themselves or VCs who describe themselves as, you know, internet VCs or internet investors. But today, you know, we just have VCs and investors. Today we have, oh, I'm a crypto VC or I'm a crypto investor. Mm -hmm. I don't see why five, 10 years from now will be so foundational that it's a given that crypto is going to be a part of everyone's life and every and of many of the projects and businesses that we interact with. I agree with you. I think that, I mean, I think we're going to see like Amazon tokens and McDonald's tokens one day, and you're going to just be able to trade whatever you want and stake with all these different companies and earn interest on their, their own activities kind of thing. You know, it's like bringing DeFi and NFTs and all this stuff together and just kind of almost financial overload, if you will. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Again, it's just going to be, it's going to be a question of how do regulators react to that reality? The reality that people you know, would rather own their own assets, own their own currencies, and own the parts of the network that they are interacting with and that they're a part of. I agree. It's, it's almost like the most distilled form of capitalism though, right? Yeah, more absolutely. So- yeah, definitely. I, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I want to say that this was a great time chatting with you. But before we wrap this up, is there anything that you want to share with our listeners? Any uh, Anything that you're excited about? Anything that you want to mention? 
Yeah, and it's been a it's been a great time. I, I think that just given you know the environment, um, I just want to remind people that we're we're in a market where prices of some things are down. Please remember to take care of your mental and, and physical health. Don't invest more than you can afford to lose, and you know don't lose sight of the bigger picture. That, those are great words, and uh, thank you for that. Mike, it, it has been a pleasure. We feel really grateful for to have you on this podcast. Uh, we hope that we can have you on again in the future and, uh, you know, kind of see where we're at. I don't know when that will be, but uh, hopefully you'll join us again. But for now, uh, enjoy the rest of your time. And uh, thanks again. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Let's do it again. concludes another episode of magic hour friends if you like what you hear please like and subscribe to our youtube or spotify or apple podcasts or wherever you can listen to your podcasts you can also follow us on twitter at magic hour pod all the links are found on our link tree which is in the show notes from all of us we appreciate your support for bridge world Music.